Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for November 11th of 2018. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHeads.com. Happy Veterans Day here in the United States. Uh, so we are going to lead off this week talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins and very interesting spot they're in right now. They they feel like they're underachieving. Uh, their GM, not a big fan of that. <laughs> and they're in a win now window. So, yeah. It's, it's funny. I titled last week's podcast, The Penguins Aren't That Good. Right? And that was at the start of their five-game losing streak. And this is a flawed team. But you show me a team in the NHL that doesn't have flaws in it. It's just that Pittsburgh's flaws at the moment are getting picked apart and exposed. They'll make the playoffs, but this, I don't think, is a team that I would expect to get past the second round. But that's probably what you could have said about the 2017 team. And one of the reasons that this team has particular flaws is the general manager and the way he's constructed this team. And it's, like you wrote, it's very similar to the Carolina teams that he's constructed in the past. Yeah. Um, Here's the deal with our coverage on the Penguins. This isn't the North Korean state-run version of it. (laughs) And while I, I do think we might not talk up some of the strengths enough at times, I do think that trying to figure out the problems are more interesting right now. Because I only have so much, so many adjectives about Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Kessel, as you do. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it, it's tough to um, it's tough to consistently talk about those guys because, like, yeah, duh, they're great. Right now, like, considering where the age group of the core is their goal is obvious it's it's to win a stanley cup and right now in this moment that the roster i don't know like you said it's um pushing to get out of the second round but it, it comes down to the the same flaws that they had in their second cup run you know, it was a top-heavy team that got by on shooting percentage and save percentage. Um, this team is constructed very similarly to the way the team was in the Bilesma run of outs. Um, I think the difference between those teams at the end of Bilesma's term and Sullivan's team at the moment is that they got high-level goaltending. Not from the same goalie all the way through the playoff run, but they got top-notch caliber goaltending to get them through. And they're not getting that at the moment, and that's a problem. No, the goaltending's been a disappointment as far as Matt Murray's been concerned. Casey DeSmith has played better than him to this point. So, 
Yeah, the the goaltending of that cup run, I don't think people appreciate how many flaws Pittsburgh got through with. Because their top pairing was a 42% possession pairing. I mean, that's incredible. They're on the ice a ton. That, that That's a lot of shot attempts against your team. And without that goaltending, you know, what's the narrative about the Penguins right now without that cup? I mean, you can't take it away from them. Obviously, they, they did it, but, you know, when you look back through the numbers, you're like, yeah, they did it, and that's what makes sports great. But to think that that's going to be the recipe, uh, it's not. Well, I suppose it's one of those things where you can never take the, the Stanley Cups away and you... You should rightfully get praised for having a team that won it, no matter how they go about winning it. But if you have a look at what's what's at the what's currently happening to the Chicago Blackhawks, in regards to Stan Bowman hasn't particularly constructed that roster very well to the point where the team just broke down. Like the team is suddenly not very good because there's too many players that are overpaid at the top end. Like they didn't take discounts any of their top guys except Duncan Keith, really. Um, just because and, of the timing of the deals, though. Like, correct, the reason they have correct. three cups is because Taves and Kane, timing of their RFA uh, versus Crosby and Malkin just getting yep. paid. Crosby and Malkin were the first RFAs to get paid. And yeah. now that's the commonplace. Like, you see that more and more now. But they were the first ones, and there weren't many people that followed them directly thereafter. No, and the the bonus that Pittsburgh had was that they probably took a little bit of a discount, but people have to realize the percentage of the cap that those two contracts took up was still really high. Like it was still a big percentage for two players to be taking up that much of the cup. So you can't, and I fall into this trap. You do get there when you're running through the numbers when you're looking and you go, my goodness, you know, Crosby's only getting paid 8.7 on the cap and Malkin's only getting paid 7.1 on the cap. And... It's like, uh, I'm really glad they did that with their numbers because it's really easy to remember. You just remember their, <laughs> their playing numbers and it makes it really simple. Um, or is Malcolm 9.1 on the cap? Oh, I can never remember now. I think he's 9.5. I mean? Is it 9.5 on the cap? Yeah. Because Crosby did stands. do 8.7. Yeah, well, of course yeah. he did. Because <laughs> yeah, he's a freaking idiot. Um, <laughs> but you, you sit there with it and the percentages of those two cap numbers at the time they were done was quite high. If you look at... You know, all the other superstars that have signed on since generally sit around about that same percentage. So it's not like some of these players are getting overpaid. It's um, it's the problem you've got when you're overpaying for guys that aren't quite good enough. And you get there and go, oh, it's only 500000 or it's only a million extra or 1.5 mil extra. But that's when you get to the point when you're signing those sorts of deals for five or six years, you suddenly have no wiggle room. And people getting given no trade clauses left, right, and center, or no movement clauses, which is even worse, left, right, and center, just gives you no flexibility. And Rutherford didn't have any of that when he came in, which was where I was leading to. He got given a roster that you had so much flexibility and the roster was so malleable, and nothing's really happened with it. He's not he's not really brought anything in to help, and when something is brought in to help, it, it's being mismanaged by the coach that everyone thinks is ridiculously awesome. Well, I, I mean, I do want to say, at the beginning, Rutherford used that flexibility wisely. Like, the 2015-16 team is great. 
I don't think either of us would ever complain about that team. No, you're absolutely correct. It's the last two years that have been problematic, and it's why it shouldn't come as a huge surprise because you got a 30-year sample of Jim Rutherford being mediocre, and he runs hot and cold, and it just so happened that he ran hot at the beginning of the Penguins' tenure, and now he's running cold. And it, it's tougher to undo his cold runs because of the situation the Penguins are in right now. He took a lot of Shero capital with um, draft picks and such and was able to kind of trade futures, you know? Like when he yeah. got to Pittsburgh, they had all of their first-round picks. Uh, they had a little bit of a farm system. Even well, it's dry the, now. I, it's completely dry now, but like Simone Dupre being traded for Ben Lovejoy, that was a very early move in his tenure. Yeah, I, and, so I don't have a particular problem with that because that was the that was the good year. I mean, I well, I don't, Dupre, I still don't like that move. No, no, I get that, but you go, there was value on that return. But what I'm saying is he had assets to burn, futures. Very true. Yep. And he's he's like the dude that is just burning through fossil fuel, and then when it runs out, you're like, well, now what? (laughs) Oh, I like that. That's very good. But it it is like that. He, and I'm fine with them being in a win now and you know at this point a first round pick when when do they show up and make an impact when when the sid and gino are 35 well, that, i have an that, argument about this but we'll get to that 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 doesn't work really well i i i argue that i would prefer teams at the moment to be taking their late round firsts or early round seconds and actually taking the draft, taking the player. Because you might strike gold and end up with a cheap asset for three years. If you've got a coaching staff that's willing to play that kid because he sticks out like, like a sore thumb. Like you look at Jake Gensel. You look where he's got to play on that roster and where he's come from, and he's been cheap as chips. And those cheap as chips players are the ones that you need on a roster that is pushing for it. So you can have those other guys. And if he comes in and plays well, you might be able to trade that asset away anyway for that, you know, so-called final bit of the piece to push the team to the cup. I think giving giving the lottery ticket away for that raffle that you might come up with somebody that comes out of nowhere is putting the cart before the horse, I suppose. I would prefer the team, all the teams to take their first round draft pick or their high second and go... Right, let's see what we get here. I think two, three years ago they could do that. It's just past the point. Well, they don't have enough early picks now, I suppose. Let me check. Let me get on the cap friendly and check what they've got. They still got next. They still got the upcoming first round pick, but even if that player, let's say it's a Daniel Sprong player. Not, not in the sense that, you know, promising 
at least at the like perception at the beginning promising right and, yeah, and you correct. play him at the appropriate time but that's still two or three years past the pick well Sprong got nine games straight out of his straight out of his first straight after yeah, the draft, but he should right have. no no but this is kind of my point you're going to get players that get those nine games and go oh, my goodness let's keep him up on the roster and he's a highly skilled player now if you end up with that kind of guy you've got him for three years on the cheap right in the middle of the window that's kind of it's kind of my argument with it i suppose because otherwise you do have to get there and go well how long is this guy going to take to develop but if you bring that guy in he's got high pedigree there's a team out there somewhere that's that's rebuilding that'll go yeah we'll take that prospect that's got a high pedigree for you and you can take this guy back you're basically making the same trade the only difference is that the team that's receiving that that young talent that you've acquired is that he's either going to be a forward a goalie or a defender and it might that like the defender might not fit their offensive needs or, or vice versa so that's the only way you really narrow down what you've got but you as a franchise have taken away that lotto the lotto of oh we might grab somebody that's going to be you know come out of nowhere and be good that's all the Just only thing i'll say about that at. is you can trade the first round pick away and and not have it be for a expiring veteran contract that's true and that that is a different way to look at it again and i mean the the prasad deal is you know similar to that i'm still bullish on that trade just need the guy healthy and then to see where the coaching staff actually play him on the roster. Yeah, it, I mean, it hasn't worked the way they really wanted it to work, you know? Even have they really had a chance to check if it will? First five games, he was fine. Then he pulled his groin the rest of the year last year and struggled his whole way through. You could see that start of the year this year, they've, thrown him everywhere up and down the lineup, and he's out injured at the moment. So I am waiting to see if he gets healthy, and if he doesn't, then, you know, if he's up and down all year because of the the lack of being healthy, then you get there and go, well, yep, it was a failed trade. You always take the risk that someone might be injury-prone, and, and so be it. But if he gets in the lineup and they can't find a proper spot for him, um, which I think you and I both think is third line center next to Kessel, um, then I think that's a failure on the management and the coaching staff for communicating what the coach wanted before the trade was made. Yeah. Yeah, um, no problem with the assets given away or nope. anything. I thought that was their best look at being a forward-driven team with, you know, multiple scoring lines. That's what's going to have them win. They can't suppress shots. It's quite clear. So, you know, I have no problem with that trade. It, it just, you know, it's far from what the perceived ceiling was right now. But yeah, but they've they've got a whole they've got a whole you know twenty games to uh, sixty games to to get that sorted. Yes. Yes, um, assuming they don't totally fall off the map. Can you really see that happening, though, with the way the roster's currently constructed, that they're going to fall off the map to the point where, quite clearly, Rutherford, and justifiably so because he's trying to save his job, nobody wants to get fired, um, by just sitting on their hands, 
like if they do start to fall off the map and they get you know close to 10 points out of a wild card spot he would make a panic move i think any general manager would make a panic move at that point well i would argue they gotta make a move you can't be missing the playoffs in your win now window <laughs> no that's that's exactly my point so you do have to get there and go we've got to do something and 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 so you as frustrating as it would be for me that he would go ahead and do that, um, you, you you go, yep, you have to because they're in a win now. If they miss the playoffs this year, it's another year of Crosby and Malkin. You know, well, everybody on that top end of the, the roster getting old. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, Rutherford, you know, straight up said, not happy with this, going to have to do something. And it's just tough. What what is that something? Well, that's something as far as I'm concerned is doing something crazy. I, he's going to do something bold, and he's a coin flip. So you're being far too polite. <laughs> I mean, he is going to do something bold, and there's always the chance that the Peter Chiarellis of the world help him out. Not necessarily Edmonton, but you know what I'm saying. Crazy is trading Kessel, and mainly because Kessel's got all those conditions on his contract, it would require Kessel to want to leave, and I doubt that would be the case. That would be crazy. For me, Bold would be working out how to get rid of Hornquist, and it would be Bold on a few fronts, because it would be admitting that the contract signing was wrong, which general managers hate to do, and it would be getting rid of somebody that everybody in the city of Pittsburgh's media that covers this team says is the heart and soul of the team and is the glue to the room and you can't afford to get rid of him and stuff like that. But if they could get rid of Patrick Hornquist for another puck-moving defenseman and show some faith and move players up the lineup, and I'm not saying put Daniel Sprong directly in his position, but at least put Daniel Sprong in a position to succeed... um, I would prefer that and have a more competent defensive back six. Um, But that's just me. Yeah, I don't... um, I don't disagree with the logic. It won't happen. We we, we know this. I'm literally throwing... (laughs) No, but... See, that's the thing. Like... I, I guess our stance hasn't changed on that, and it never will. He's he's the luxury item that they don't necessarily need. People talk about the Penguins winning the cup without Latang. I mean, Hornquist was a fourth liner on that run. Yeah, I mean it it's funny how certain players get a pass because they're hard workers and they cop a lot of flack in front of the net, and there's no argument against taking away the vision of a goalie, and the brutality of what goes on around that crease um, deserves its credit. But he takes a skilled player's spot away on the power play. He doesn't get that many tips. And as far as I'm concerned, having Crosby down low, which is Gunnar's favourite hashtag, and... um, and having somebody else on the half wall would be better for this power play at the moment than the way it's currently being constructed. They split everyone up last game yeah, against well, Arizona. 
and that's just trying to reinvent the wheel for the sake of reinventing the wheel. Yeah, that's um, that's something that I can't get down with. I I will never, <laughs> never, never advocate for Crosby, Malkin, Phil, Latang not making up four of the five spots. And Hornquist has certainly had power play goals. Yep. I mean, I I would never say he hasn't. I just wonder about how much credit is given in that situation give, with, with the other four on that power play. I'm just curious how many guys would not do well in that spot. I, I You know what I mean? mean? For the five million premium that he's on now, and the even strength offense is kind of meh the last year and change. Yeah. I would garner a I would garner a suggestion that Jake Gensel, if he wasn't having a snake bit, cannot score anything season, would get more goals in front of the net via tips than Hornquist does via his bash and crash because of the skill level of all the other players. And Gensel's ability to rotate out off his stick in the tripod and redirect goals behind a goalie who's out on the top of his crease because of the guys that are shooting the puck at his stick. That's a skill set I thought Hornquist would be better at, would be his ability to cop a beating, rotate and turn, and redirect pucks into the net. And it just doesn't seem to happen often enough considering how long he's on the power play and, and how long he's out there on the ice floor. Yeah. But Rutherford wasn't talking about him. He was talking about the Brian Russ. Maybe even Ali Mata. Wow. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. Mr. Chameleon. I would prefer him playing with Latang, like you said, than freaking Jack Johnson. Yeah, and and that some of this stuff is is weird. And I was looking through some some of the team stats since their return to glory in twenty fifteen sixteen. And they've been pretty Remarkably average with a lot of their possession and that kind of stuff. Since that first lightning in a bottle period of time, I I don't know. I, I don't want to say Mike Johnson or Mike Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the start of the turn when he left. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike Sullivan's not a bad coach. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I, I just... The God status that comes with it is a little much. There's a yeah. lot of mistakes that get made. Well, it's one of those conversations... Well, it's one of those discussions you and I have a fair bit, which is it would be really interesting to be a fly on the wall at the start of the year and at certain points through the year when the team... Is either being really successful or really struggling. And to hear the conversations that they have with San Ventura in regards to what are the trends that you're seeing in the numbers compared to what we're seeing down on the ice. And to see how that sort of conversation matches up. 
and what the coaching staff decide to do about it. Because surprise, surprise, Zach Ashton Reese and Garrett Wilson came up into the lineup and they struggled just as much as Daniel Sprong did with that center that's playing on that fourth line. And nobody's talking about that, are they? Like those two players that played with Cullen didn't even see him out on the ice. And it's not a surprise. So, you know, if they're going to rotate those sort of guys around, I don't understand. Maybe it'll change when Broussard gets back and Cullen theoretically should get pushed out of the lineup. You and I both think he probably won't because it's Matt Cullen. But there's no way if we can look at the numbers on the public sites that they don't have more in-depth detail of what the hell's going on. Yeah, that's what makes the Alexiak thing so strange. Well, that's even worse. I mean, I just don't get it. I mean, I will always get the Jack Johnson's not coming out of the lineup thing. We saw it yeah. with Scuderi. And, you know, the, the, some, some things are predictable. The they're not Uso, right, but they're definitely predictable. <laughs> the Uso Ricola infatuation is very strange because his his underlying numbers are brutal, and he's certainly not doing anything on the ice that merits. Like when you watch it, you're not like, oh, they they really need that skill. It's not like he's moving the puck up ice at this uh, unique. <laughs> why they signed Jack Johnson in the first place for, hey, we got this guy who's unique in that he can make controlled exits. It's not happening from either of those guys, and especially not the, the rookie that's not paid anything and they don't have anything invested in Jamie Alexiak with his four goals and his over 2.0 points per 60 as a defenseman. And his, <laughs> um, you know... Not lighting the world on fire, I'm not going to pretend that his expected goals or anything like that is, you know, out yeah. of this world. But at the same time, you got a really shitty defense grouping this year, and he, he's certainly not one of the... He's not one he's of the He's not problems. the seventh or worst in the depth chart. Well, with Justin Schultz being out, he's... Probably the third guy in the lineup. If you're going to take the the top pairing that's being split, and yeah, him sitting. and Marta are battling it for that spot. Well, I wouldn't even think Marta's battling for that spot. I think Marta's. Well, Dumoulin's the next. Yes, yeah, correct. The Latang, Latang tier, Dumoulin, it's the Dumoulin tier, and then it's the Alexiak, and Marta. I think Alexiak's past Marta. Um, and the problem they've got is that they know they need Marta to play because I don't think they really... We know Johnson's not going to come out of the lineup. I I also think they recognize that you can't play Jack Johnson with Latang because that puts him as a top-pairing defenseman, and he's just going to get torched. And it puts so much pressure on Latang to to try and do more, and that's always Latang's They seem issue, very content on putting Johnson there. Yeah, I think they'll work that one out and, and go, this isn't going to work. I think they will work that out. Even if the rest of the lineup is more balanced, you're going to get torched more because Johnson's playing 24 minutes a night with Latang than you will going back to a Dumoulin Latang lineup playing 26 minutes together. Yeah, and if that pairing is 
serviceable. Serviceable is not good enough considering how well Latang is playing this year. Yeah. Like, like you're taking a player playing near his ceiling and art of and voluntarily dragging that ceiling down just to be acceptable. That's not great. Well, the other thing on top of that is you think of the forwards that he's going to end up getting to play with. You're going to see an improvement in Johnson's numbers purely because of the other players on the ice. But you might see a drop in their production um, because of having one player on the ice. With Let's them, which be honest. Sounds so he's either unfair. on the ice with Crosby and Latang, or he's on the ice with Malkin Kessel and Latang. Yeah. And it, it seems very unfair to label those kinds of players' struggles to one player. But teams aren't stupid. Teams can zone off Jack Johnson and make sure he has the puck rather than Latang, and make sure that Jack Johnson makes the exit pass and make sure that um, the wraparound always goes to Jack Johnson's side. Like, four checks aren't stupid. They can funnel the puck to sides of the ice that they want it to go to. And... If I was playing against, and to be honest, that's what Arizona did uh, in the previous game. And to be perfectly honest, they probably deserved a little better fate than they got <laughs> in a, a four zip, a four zip loss when Casey DeSmith played a little bit out of his brain. So I don't know, this team is this team has no this team feels like it has no direction, like it has no personality or idea of where they want to go it's a mishmash of well, we know we need to plug a hole let's just get somebody that has a reputation let's try and use a rookie to come in and, and fill a hole and we'll plug the rest up with guys that quite clearly the coach doesn't trust yeah but he's Rutherford will target some third pairing guy somewhere hope he plays up much like Daly, Alexiak. Tried it with Hunwick. He's always looking thing, at that tier. I think the other thing that annoys me about Ricola is how desperate the Pittsburgh media and Pittsburgh fans want Ricola to be more than he actually is. I, I think it's amazing how quickly... And this we're in the hot take era because everybody wants to be proven right by something they wrote nine months ago when somebody overachieves or breaks out or something like that. But there's absolutely... Like, you want a player to succeed, but you don't have to overblow what Reckler's been. He hasn't made any glaring errors, um, but he's certainly not He's certainly not looked like he's a 38%. somebody... He's a 38%. Corsi four, I'm assuming. Yeah, and yeah, maybe but, but a forty he... at expected goals and twenty yeah. percent done... goals for and no points per sixty. So he hasn't, he, yeah, but he hasn't done anything egregious like Latang does because the puck's on Latang's stick all the time, right? So he hasn't done anything that blows your mind away that says, "Oh my God, what the hell he's, is this?" He's guy worse doing than the Jack ice? Johnson, though. I know, but he and we just spent doesn't... a whole lot of time talking shit about him. Correct. But he also only costs under a mil. Well, there is that. <laughs> Not three mil for five more years. That that Correct. is true. So, yeah, I, I just don't. I don't. I don't know what their attachment is at this point. You're at a nine-game sample of, you know, 
not good. Yeah, no, no, you can you can see if you bother to roll the numbers, you can see that what he's doing is not great. But if you purely just watch the games, he makes one great breakout pass, and all you see on Twitter is, oh my god, Ricola, Ricola, Ricola. But you also don't have the, the glaring error that you hear everyone say, fucking Latang, what are you doing, you moron? That's kind of the point that I'm making. If you purely watch him on the eye test, he does nothing that makes you think he's terrible. It's just the puck is in the defensive zone all the time when he's on the ice. So I get why fans are, are not on Ricola. You know, he's cheap and he doesn't do anything glaringly terrible on the ice. Whereas everybody's looking for Jack Johnson to hound him down for an error because the contract signing was terrible. And every time he makes a mistake, you see it on Twitter. It's like, oh my God, Jack Johnson, you're an idiot. What the hell was Rutherford thinking? All that kind of stuff. So it players get put into their, their spots purely by their contract numbers. And like you and I said previously, don't blame Jack Johnson for signing that. That's not his fault. But he's going to cop criticism along the way because he's got to perform to that level. Yeah, I guess I I still can't get over the, uh, the scratching Alexiak, where no, Jack, Jack Johnson fails up. You know. Yeah, oh, absolutely, he does, and that's I think this is one of those Ricola things where fails you... up, Sprong fails yeah. down, and Jamie Alexiak succeeds down. If you're that's the worst that one. <laughs> If you're a high draft pick, if you're a top five draft pick, for the rest of your career, however long that lasts, you will always get second, third, fourth, and fifth chances. And that's been Jack Johnson's blessing, being the second pick in that draft. Because everybody goes, there was there's cachet in that for the rest of your career, and that does allow you to fail up. And they both have. Yeah. So, and that brings it back to the, the trade conversation of what can they do? And the problem here is you invest in another forward, which is never a bad thing when you're trying to be a scoring team. However, the forwards that that value is not going to ever hit its uh, potential because the D can't get them the puck. And that's why I would prefer them to move somebody for a puck-moving defenseman. And Chiarelli yeah. is the one you have to try and sort of poke the bear with. And Yeah, I mean, I agree. Expose his like, idiocy. Who doesn't want a puck-moving defenseman? They all act like idiots the in the off-season, and then they figure out they need one when the prices are highest. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Where can, where can you steal one from? Like, where's a team that's in the tank? You can't really steal one from L.A., because they don't really have one that's, you know... Prizable. I would take Muzzin. Yeah, but are LA going to take back a Hornquist-style contract? Oh, I'm, I'm trading Hornquist now. I know it's not possible, but that's what I'm basing all of these around, is that it's Hornquist going the other way. Because you've got to give away perceived on-ice value, well, even if here's, the contract is here's, bad. Here's the thing that Pittsburgh would probably get the perceived value without taking too, too much from their current team. Mm -hmm. And it would be Mata, the first and Sprong. And I, and, and that's your classic. I'm just going to add parts here, but Mata, I do think has higher perceived value. First round. So of it's pick, the EA sports trade. Yeah, pretty much. Sprong 
is attractive to certain teams, I bet. I, I personally don't think there's much trade value there. But when you throw Mata that in a first, because first-round picks automatically get the the juices flowing for Absolutely. NHL GMs, yep. regardless if it's a late first, you that I think that's the best they can offer up. Is it enough to get the style of defenseman they want? I mean, we've both mentioned that Schultz is going to come back and that's going to be fine, but you just don't know what version of Schultz you're going to get back. And it changes the complexion of that back six altogether. But you're a ballsy GM if you're going to sit tight on that defensive core and go, Schultz will fix it. I mean, he's capable of, of, of being great, but he's going to have missed... 55 to 60 games and coming back into the roster at the time of the year that the game is flying because everyone's pushing for the playoffs. So, eek. The guy that I keep thinking back to, even though I don't think Pittsburgh was ever in on him, but, but after seeing what the AAV was eventually on that contract is is someone like Kelvin DeHaan would yeah. be a much better fit than obviously Jack Johnson. You can't find a million in that salary cap that you could do without. To Kelvin DeHaan is what they think Jack Johnson is. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. I just... But that's... I can't. I, I'm literally while we're going through this podcast, I'm just going through rosters at the moment and trying to find a team that is going to be toast at the pointy end of the year that Pittsburgh can try and steal. And teams have quite rightly wrapped up their young or old puck moving defensemen for a cap hit that is too high for Pittsburgh and too long for them to be able to sort of trust, like for the aging puck moves. So, I don't know. Rutherford's got himself into a bind, and I'm not exactly sure how he gets himself out of it. Well, uh, the last two off-seasons have been problematic. They haven't gotten... any Anything that was done positive was... They had to undo a negative first. And that's that takes assets and that's a difficult thing to uh, keep going well having to give up Connor Sherry just for the sake of getting rid of Matt Hunwick that's a good example of exactly what you've just said you know they've had to you know throw away a productive asset just to get rid of an error and a self-inflicted one at that yeah and then and then to spend the space on Johnson is the it's just that one bugs me a lot because Connor Sherry was fine and that's actually good value for depth scoring on what wants to be a Stanley Cup caliber team and then to just turn around and spend the same damn money Mm -hmm. on somebody that is making you objectively is pulling you in the wrong direction it just sucks. There, there is no way in hell that 
Sam Ventura would have got there and said, yeah, this is a good signing. So it's like, what's the point of having somebody like him? That's the whole point of having guys like that is to avoid contracts like this. Yeah, That's but the whole point of these guys. It's about when you want to hear it. Don't have them. confirmation bias. You don't need somebody to come up and tell you you're making a good deal. You need to listen to them when they're like saying, this is not right for the style of play this team is is running. This is not going to help what you want to do. That's when you need to listen to him. Yeah, he suppresses and... offense and whatever transition skills he's good at. Yeah. He's suppressing offense. It, it worries me. Somebody said this, and it, I'm like, yeah, you, you're definitely on the money. And I can't remember who it was, so I apologize. But somebody got there and said, any general manager that gets up at a press conference and says, oh, we're taking a more analytical approach to what we're doing, is lying. They've, got, they've brought someone in to make it look like they're on board with what this is, but they're not paying attention to what the person's saying. They're not paying attention to that team. Any team that has gone and, and drawn guys in, and everyone knows when they vanish because you find out <laughs> they vanish off Twitter and they keep their mouth shut now. Whenever a team does that and you don't hear anything from that NHL team saying that they've done that, they're into it. They're paying attention. Yeah. Well, you know, old news for as far as what we talk about on a regular basis true with with Sullivan and Rutherford do you think there's actually a rift between the two of them at all in regards to or is it just Rutherford posturing I don't think there's a rift I I do think they see certain situations differently I think Broussard is one of those I think Rutherford showed that with Sprung, uh, the last year Johnston was there because Johnston did not play him. Rutherford, like that was another miscommunication. And, you know, for... Well, the the Biles-Machero, you saw on the... Remember when they had the HBO series? Oh, yeah. Like, they were on the same page. The problem was, being on the same page, the the later portions of that duo meant you were making bad... Both were making bad choices. You, 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 you but you should to... have them on the same page, and I don't yeah. think that's always been... I mean, the Broussard thing, that's a big trade. It's the biggest move of... Positive move, I should say, of the last two years. And, and you got a coach that wants him somewhere and a GM that wants him in another place. It's, I wonder whether it's the he doesn't trust Broussard to be a third-line center because Sullivan feels he has to have a more defensive style to his play as a third-line center, or whether it's a he thinks Cheyenne can handle the, the more, more of the defensive responsibility of the third line and he feels more comfortable playing that third line that way. When I would have just thought, you go, you've got three lines that can flat out score. And then if you do feel like you need to go for a lockdown, you just play the fourth line more often. 
I didn't think it would be that that complicated in that context. Throwing Broussard up onto the wing on the top two lines just for the sake of going, well, we've got the flexibility because we've got five NHL-level centers. I hate to break it to you, but one of those centers is not NHL-level anymore. And the other one's and, a tweener between third and fourth line. Correct. And if you put him at the lower line, he outperforms the expectations of that fourth line. And it's just like, have Matt Cullen as your, as your 21st player. Have him have him as the spare. And if you need, feel like you need to inject him into the lineup, do so. He's shy. But he is shy. He is. He absolutely is. He's There's nothing left, and I don't blame him for wanting to go around again. This is a management decision that's like, let's bring back someone that's familiar, someone that we trust. Um, and I think it's I think it's it's folly in, in that context. I'd be happy for them to not play him at all, even with Broussard out now. And just have the just have the fourth line be a Wilkesbury Scranton line, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, at this point. That's also not happening. Yeah, well, tell, look, tell you what he, is he, happening. Eventually he's gonna get hired as the as some kind of uh skills coach for the forwards and then Jim Rutherford can sign all of these fourth line players and everybody can talk about how Matt Cullen will get the most out of them. It'll just be the forward version of Sergei Gonchar. The co- <laughs> that's, that's my prediction of how the future looks. What sucks is that you're closer to right on that than I am on anything I've said today. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to happen. Oh, Zach Ronaldo. He'll make, he can get him to be a, just like Cullen was, close to 30-point-a-year guy. Oh, God. I don't know. It's, like, obviously, this is obviously an old Penguins podcast, but... I, I should probably try and listen to some other podcasts that are less generic NHL ones than what I listen to. Like, listen to a specific one around Boston or the Sabres, actually, would probably be an interesting one. And, and find out whether they have the same frustrations. Like, the Tampa Bay one would be an interesting one as well. Find out whether they have the same style of frustrations that we do with what this team does. It just... Be- it's one of those things that you know that they're in a, they have the hard to get pieces, and you just, it's tough to, I don't want to say wasted because those those two cups did happen. If they only had the one, man, you'd feel like that was a wasted era, and and this well, era critis- this era has been justified by the three cups, but at the same time, I don't think that. They are unable to add a fourth. Well, as the roster currently stands, no. Correct, but like, it's still a possibility. Yeah, I'd I'd like to see the decisions made that would maximize something like that. In the last two years, I I can't. It reminds me a lot of the end of the Cheryl Bilesma stuff because. You have just wanting to have this grinding mentality. Like the Ryan Reeves trade was, hey, we just won with speed and skill, so let's go to the 
the physicality and and we need some of that well that blew up in their face and they thought jack johnson would attribute to getting back to puck moving but you know he he's he's he like you said he's a top five pick that's fool's gold and I, i will say this they realized they needed to be able to move the puck. They just grabbed the wrong asset to do it. So at least they got there and went, we've got to get the puck up to the forwards because we've got a good forward group. Great. Just not that asset. And and that, that I suppose I can I can take half of that away and go, well, at least they had a bit of an idea about it. Just, you know, asset analysis was just wrong. Yeah. Morons. <laughs> <laughs> from the armchair morons so i don't know they we're in a waiting pattern we just gotta wait till something happens something will uh, happen have you have you heard at all if and when brissard will be back like, i think he just started anything. skating okay all right so that's probably when he gets back on the ice i'll give it five games one to see where they play and two to see what he produces when he's actually put on a third line center and i would suggest with kessel i i would i would put hornquist up with with malkin and malkin or it's got to be one of the two if you're, yeah you're gonna pay him yeah. that he's not gonna give you five million worth if you if you don't put him in the top six with the two centers that inflated his value to begin with i suppose the only risk i have the only issue i have with that is then Haglund's lack of production that i said last week doesn't matter when he's playing with malcolm and kessel starts to matter he has to produce more on that line because you're not going to get kessel level value out of hornquist next to malcolm and that's where it starts to become tough and i mean i don't think we've even discussed the fact that we thought gino should have been suspended for that hit but We'll probably ignore that and just move forward. Um, yeah, so so that's that's one of those things where you know you rightfully pointed out that Haglund's not producing enough considering who he's playing with. He hasn't looked at all like he's capable of producing more if Hornquist is is fronted up onto that line. So it must it's it's got to be tough as a coach when you start juggling lines and players aren't producing to an expected level. Yeah, but it also doesn't help when you healthy scratch guys that could help with that. And, well, not and only, you know, not only healthy scratched, but when in the lineup, not giving them an opportunity to show what they've got. If Zach Aston Reese gets up the lineup and gets to stick up the lineup before Sprong does, that's a coaching decision, and and that's I think a sure sign for me that. At some point, Rutherford will trade him away uh, low, meaning he'll be attached to a trade with another player or a draft pick. And that's just that's just bad asset management. Well, it's bad asset management in the sense that he might not pan out, but you definitely aren't giving any other teams hope that he will. Yeah. Based on the yeah, usage. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, what's the what's the fear at the moment of throwing him up the lineup? The team's not playing well. They're juggling lines anyway. 
put him up there. I mean, Gensel's been underperforming. Yeah. And, yeah, yes. And, and some of this depth scoring problem, there's there's some positive regression to be had. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. not everybody, I mean, everybody seems to be below where they need to be, but wasn't that a jo- Mike Johnston complaint at, at one point? Mm-hmm. So, you know, at some point, as I've been notified on Twitter, Mike Sullivan has two Stanley Cups, so why can't he just do the Mike Sullivan thing and just tell them to play better? Because you see some of the goals that Gensel has <laughs> not Do you know what scored. I mean, though, how frustrating yeah. the conversation can be on there? It's like, yep. okay, well, if he's great, then... Why doesn't he just tell them to play better? Kind of like Homer Simpson in that uh, Hank Scorpio <laughs> episode. Can you guys work harder? Well, sure, boss. Okay. <laughs> and then yeah. he thinks he's he's on to something. It's nuts. It... Uh, working in a Hank Scorpio reference was not planned, but it feels good. We'll take it. We'll take it. Absolutely. But yeah, that 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 is such that's what I think about when I hear that argument. Like, okay, if he's this elite of a coach, then I'm sure he can why are they all underperforming? The same reason they all overperformed during that second cup run. Cause shit happens in hockey. It's one of the reasons why I don't think the gambling thing with this sport's really going to work. Oh, I, you know, I, I do not think gambling on hockey is wise at all. No, the only thing you, I, I think will work with hockey is the shootout gambling. In regards to the whole instantly being able to, you know, gamble on a particular shooter against a goalie, those sorts of things. But gambling in regards to trying to pick. Who's going to win a particular game? Oh man, it's fraught with danger. It's it's got to be one of the worst sports to gamble on. And because it, even if you have the the best analytics, are only going to point you kind of in the right direction. Yeah, and a team like Tampa can lose to a team like Vancouver any day of the week. Because of goaltending, like that's that's the big equalizer in this sport. You can get absolutely torched possession-wise, and mathematically, you should win that game, but you lose because the goaltender has just decided to play above his expected level. Yeah, that's so, the Capitals Penguin series from two years ago. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, well, I better get going because somebody has to go and actually go to work. Yeah, I don't have that problem right now. We got we got Veterans Day as we let off. You got the a couple. You got with. a couple of days. So, well, you enjoy work. Uh, yeah, I will. It's work. Yay! And uh, everybody, you know where to find us: Twitter, uh, Patreon. All those places. Uh, don't be afraid to flip us questions every now and then if you feel like it. You're going to make um, it to work or are you going to fall asleep? 
Oh, it could be column eight. Well, I've got to get on a bus for 20 minutes, so I could miss my stop and keep moving. So hopefully not. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll that get could be dangerous. <laughs> we'll get you All on right. your way then, so. Thanks, guys. All right. See you.